in his best-selling book, The Search for Significance, a book that uh, late Billy Graham said all Christians should read, Robert S. McGee said, we need to ask ourselves these questions on a regular basis. Who am I? What value? What meaning? What purpose? What significance does my life have? And then he goes on to try to help the reader understand the answers to those questions because they're questions that we ask us uh, ourselves all the time throughout a lifetime. Uh, today, in the passage that the Lord Jesus is going to be speaking in the Gospel of John, he makes a promise to us, and we remember from our series that uh, that promise is true, that uh, he gives us his word that it's true. Jesus is going to tell us that in him, our lives can have true and ultimate significance. And that means for everybody here. That means for the super senior that's out here that wants their life to finish strong. For the retiree who's wanting to have significance in life, continue to have that. Uh, to the middle-ager, as you balance work and family and service and ministry opportunities. To the uh, young adult uh, who is building a life, building a marriage, building a career, but still wanting to have an impact, to the youth who is making important decisions about life and wanting to develop and see what direction the Lord has and to make an impact, and even for a child, uh, learning what life is all about, all these little children. All of us need to ask ourselves those kind of questions throughout a lifetime because I believe each one of us deep down wants to have significance, wants our life to be significant. So I'd like you to join with me this morning on a journey, a journey through God's Word, and see how He promises us that our lives can be and continue to be significant. Let's pray. And Lord, we uh, use the words of a contemporary hymn that reminds us to speak, O Lord, as we come to You. To receive the food of your holy word, take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises. And by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles, uh, your apps, your devices to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the background is this. Jesus has made his final entry at the end of his three-year ministry into Jerusalem, a triumphal entry. Uh, he has been teaching his disciples, spending time with them during this last week. Uh, he has now uh, brought them into the upper room, and prior to this, Judas has left to set up how he would betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders and authorities. But Jesus, with all twelve, washes their feet and institutes during the Passover celebration the Lord's table. Judas leaves 
to go and carry out his heinous crime. Jesus finishes with the eleven, and then they begin their journey to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking out of the upper room, they are going through Jerusalem, and there it would be pretty obvious they would see the big temple that's there, built, rebuilt by Herod. And on the temple, there would be a symbol of a vine, representative of Israel, emblematic of that nation. They would see that. They would go into the orchard area and where the olive trees are, but they would also be seeing some vines along the way. And Jesus is going to speak some final words to his disciples then. He's going to speak to you and me as his disciples today about significance. So John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, and Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you watched on the board, you saw some highlighted words there, the word fruit, the word vine and branches, uh, the word abide. In these eight verses, multiple times, and we're going to see those key words. We're really going to look at three th ways that Jesus says that you and I, he promises a life of significance. And that's, first of all, if we're abiding in him, abiding in Christ. Second, if we are accepting his correction along the way. And thirdly, if we're avoiding his condemnation. All of that is wound up in these eight verses. So let's take a look at that this morning. The first is, uh, we know that uh, God promises us a life of significance, which we all are looking for, if we are abiding in Christ. Again, just look at this word that Jesus is using, abide. Verse 4, abide in me. Unless it abides in the vine, unless you abide in me, whoever abides in me. Verse 6, if you do not abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Seven different times Jesus uses this Greek word, meno. Meno means to dwell, to endure, to continually be a part of something. And Jesus is emphasizing to the 11 who are still with him, Judas is gone, He's saying, you have remained, you have endured, and he's challenging to continue to remain and endure. He says, I want you to go deep in your intimacy with me because I am the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Some powerful words Jesus is giving them at the end of his earthly ministry. Now, Jesus was there, and he, he may have been reminding him, we don't have everything that he said that night. Maybe he took them to Psalm 42, where it says, as the deer pants for streams of water, as the deer longs for streams of water, 
so do I pant, do I long for you, O Lord. And Jesus is reminding them, and he's reminding you and me today, that abiding is that deep desire to be with Jesus through his word as he speaks to us, through prayer as we speak to him. Abiding is that deep desire to be with God's people as we gather on Sunday in person or online, as we meet in small groups, but the importance of meeting together in that community. Abiding is that deep desire to obey Christ and his commands, to be baptized as a believer, to pray together as a group, to make disciples. Jesus said, abiding is that deep desire to obey him and his, his heart and passion for us, to serve him and his people, and to persevere and go the distance with him. All of that is wound up in this idea of abiding. So Jesus said, this is what we should be doing. We should be abiding. But then in verse 8, very interesting, he says, here's why we should be abiding. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So Jesus said a lot in that one verse. Three things. We're to be abiding in Christ, he says, so we will glorify the Father. Glorify is the Greek word doxa. We get praise, glory, honor, magnif magnification. All of that is in that word doxa, doxology. The Westminster Greater Catechism, uh, Shorter Catechism says that what? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so that idea of glorification, three chapters earlier, Jesus prayed and said, Father, glorify your name. And a voice from heaven spoke and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And two chapters after this, Jesus is going to pray again and he's going to say, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So the glory of God, Jesus existing with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together in eternity in that wonderful love relationship before anything came to be. David, a man, what, after God's own heart, understood that glory of God, and he said in Psalm 86, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will give you glory forever and ever. So Jesus says when we abide in him, we will glorify the Father, and that will reveal the significance of our life. Also in verse 8, Jesus said, when we are abiding in Christ, we're to do so because we will bear much fruit. He says that you bear much fruit. As a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says we will bear fruit. The question is, how much fruit? Because look at those verses again. Bear fruit, verse 2, bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear fruit, bears much fruit. And then here in verse 8, bear much fruit. Jesus is talking and giving us a challenge about the bearing of fruit. And I thought, okay, 
uh, what, what does that look like? And of course, uh, you know, Betty and I, we, when we moved back here a year ago, we, we've got a house in Bargersville, so we pass by sometimes Mellow Run and the vineyards that are out there. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And I was thinking of this passage, and I said, you know what? Uh, this is fruit. Now, I didn't take him from Mellow Run. I didn't go there. Uh, this, is, this is from a Meyer Run. So thank you, Betty. From, uh, this is a Meyer Run. Up oh, and there they go. So this is, this is fruit. Jesus says we, our life will bear fruit. Uh, this is more fruit. And then, of course, we can get this. And this is much fruit. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, he told the parable of the sower and the soils, right? And there were four soils and three of them didn't produce anything. But the fourth soil produced a harvest, a crop, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So they all produced, but different amounts. There was a, a variance on it. Bear fruit, bear much fruit, bear uh, more fruit, more, much fruit. So he calls us to do that. Bob Buford, uh, the late Bob Buford, in his book, Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance, read that many years ago. He talked about having a life of significance, moving from the business world, but really saying, I want to invest my life into things eternal. And he said, I want on my tombstone written 100x, 100 times. I want my life to bear that much fruit. He said, as for me, I have decided that just about all that will be left of me when I leave this earth is what I can let go of to invest in the lives of others. The fruit of my life and work will grow on in other people's trees. I was thinking about that book as I had read it many years ago, and my mom turned 95 this week. I'm going to go later this upcoming week and go see her down in Florida for a couple of days. My dad made it to 96, and as I turned 60 and got into my mid-60s, I started thinking, wow, uh, Lord, you may have given me some pretty good genes. Uh, and I began to think and have on my heart, Lord, I want, to, I want to pray. Lord, I want to pray that if you give me breath and if you delay your return, I'm praying that the final third of my life would be the most fruitful for you in the kingdom. Most fruitful in my relationship with you, my wife and my family and ministry. And I began to just remind myself that that means I need to take care of myself. I, I'm, I remember that old saying, if I knew I was going to live this long, what, I would have taken better care of myself. Yes, yeah, so uh, there's that desire to try to, to do that. Of course, I always have to balance that out with the story of, of two men in heaven. Uh, they were enjoying what was going on in heaven and, and the wonders and the beauty and so forth. And uh, the one said to the other one, man, this is great up here. Uh, I would have been up here a lot earlier if it wasn't for my wife's bran muffins. So there's always a balance between uh, wanting to be there and uh, living it out. But life to bear fruit. And you say, okay, Dean, what is that fruit? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think it's twofold, really. I think we can see it in our character and our conduct. I think very simply, fruit is our character and is our conduct, our character, who we are. Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatians, and chapter 5, verse 22, I think says it so well. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That is representative of our character. Are we living those qualities out? And so I ask you today, are those evident in your life? Or maybe I should ask your spouse or your best friend. What does your character look like? But fruit is also our conduct, what we do. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has made us to do those good works. That should be our conduct. I work out at LA Fitness and uh, on the wall was a poster promoting Les Mills. Les Mills was a, a training organization. We used them over at the GP a number of years ago, and they had body pump and a few other things. But on the poster, it had a bullet point as it was promoting it. It said, designed for results. Designed for results. And that's how God has made you and me. He's designed us for results, for good works been teaching through, some of you are in the Daniel class that I've been teaching at 11 o'clock over the past weeks, and Daniel's one of my favorite characters in Scripture. He's one of, it's one of my favorite books, and uh, we'll be heading into chapter 6 next week, but just thinking of Daniel, taken as a young uh, Hebrew out of Jerusalem and Judea and brought into Babylon, never to return again, but staying faithful in his character and his conduct, elevated into a position of prominence in the Babylonian Empire. And now, as he is approaching 90 years old, he is going to be elevated into the Persian Empire as they take over. And in chapter 6, he is faced with uh, some challenges from those people that he is being elevated over. It said in verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished, Above all other high officials and satraps, because of an excellent spirit was in him. That's his character. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. That's his conduct. Now, these guys didn't want him in that position, so they are going to scheme to get rid of Daniel. But you have to come to class next week to find out what happens. What do people see when they see your life? Someone said one time, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? As our conduct reflect that? Jesus says we abide in him, we'll glorify the Father, we'll bear much fruit. And thirdly, in that verse, we're to be abiding in Christ so we'll prove we are Christ's followers. So we'll prove that we are his followers. Jesus was telling the 11 they were proving to be his followers. Judas had left. He proved he wasn't. He hadn't remained. He hadn't dwelt. And you and me remaining in Christ, abiding in him, shows that we've been saved, shows that we are bearing 
fruit. The Apostle John, who wrote this account in his younger days, later in his life, as he's approaching uh, maybe in his 80s and 90s himself, exiled on the island of Patmos in a Roman penal colony, receives the revelation from the Lord, and he records it in chapter 14. He says, here is the call for endurance, the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. He had proven his followership, and he is writing some last words of Scripture to call us to do the same. Abiding means fruit-bearing, which demonstrates we're a Christ follower, proof that we are his disciple. Have you heard that expression, the proof is in the pudding? I've heard it, and I started thinking, what's, what's in pudding? What, what, what the, and then I realized the expression is what? The proof of the pudding is in the eating, in the experiencing of the pudding. The experiencing of our Christian life is the proof of our followership of Christ. So Jesus said we need to be abiding in him. Second of all, we need to be receiving the promise that he gives us because we are accepting his criticism and his correction. Verse 2, every tree that bears fruit, he what? Prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's the Greek word kathairo. It means to cleanse properly, to purify. Uh, yesterday, while we were doing some small group training, the kids were playing out in the snow, and I asked them to go on a uh, hunting trip for me to find uh, a branch. Uh, no trees were harmed, by the way, in this uh, illustration. So they, they found one. Uh, it was the best they could uh, here in November in Indiana. But they found a branch, and it just reminded, you know, Jesus said, I am, you know, I am the branch, you are, I'm the vine, you're the branches that are stemming off. And Jesus said, there's going to be some correction that takes place. And so when we think about that, if, if we're in these, these strong vines, Jesus has to come sometimes because there's sin in our life, there's disobedience in our life, and he needs to correct that to make us all he wants us to be. And he, he does it through the pruning shears of his word. Hebrews 4, 12 says what? The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So some, Jesus looks at our life and says, you know, I need to make this branch all that it needs to be. I need to cut this off. And then there are other ones that he does, the discipline that the Lord does in our life to make us all he wants us to be. Your homework assignment is to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and read through that because nine times the word discipline is used, that God disciplines us. How does he do that? Uh, he does it through dis disruptions in our life, difficulties, despair, uh, sometimes uh, doubts and he disciplines us in order to make us all he wants us to be. Some of you may be familiar with the ministry of Johnny Erickson Tata. Betty and I got, had the opportunity to see her a few weeks ago when we went to Nashville, and she was part of a, a conference there, and her life has been significantly used, even though a diving accident as a youth left her a quadriplegic. 
But I never saw this until a little while ago. She said, now rarely do I ever share my personal story about this passage, Hebrews 12. But my broken neck has given me a deep appreciation and a sobering understanding of this passage and the discipline, the correction, and the chastisement of the Lord. Back in high school, I was involved in some pretty immoral behavior. I was hell-bent on living like I wanted to on Friday and Saturday nights. Oh, I looked good on Sunday, but on weekends, on a Friday night, I did not enjoy the companionship of my Christian friends, no. Those with pure hearts, no. My boyfriend and I chose immoral things, corrupt things, and I knew I was doing wrong. I claimed I knew Jesus, but I know I would have abandoned what little faith I had, especially at college, had I not had my accident. The discipline God doled out to me was intended to purge sin from my life. He was about to answer my prayer with a very severe, hard rescue, a hard deliverance from my prodigal path. It's never easy to take, but thankfully, the Bible says discipline eventually yields the fruit of righteousness. It's something to remember if today you are experiencing the discipline of God. So God comes in and does that. Jesus is reminding of that because he wants our lives to be significant. Johnny's life has been extremely fruitful and significant. God wants your life, my life, to be the same. Thirdly, lastly, we are to abide in Christ. We're to uh, uh, accept his correction. We're to be avoiding his condemnation. Where do we see that? In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Judas was heading for condemnation and the destination of eternal hell He missed out on a life of significance because he did not receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus. People without the Lord Jesus today will miss out on a life of significance by rejecting the grace and the mercy that he extends to them. And they would be heading to a similar destination like Judas in hell. Jesus said an interesting thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, early in the ministry. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. For many will say to me on that day, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty miracles in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. People without Christ may achieve worldly status, yes, worldly success, but they will never have significance because significance only comes by abiding in Christ. Amen? It's been said, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Those that are not in Christ need to come to him. They need to come to him through repentance from sin and faith in the Savior. That's the gospel. A number of weeks ago, some of you, along with Betty, maybe we had a chance to go to Life Centers 
And we went to the banquet that night, and Tim Tebow was the guest speaker. And we had a connection because when we lived in Florida, Tim Tebow went to the high school that was in our district. He was homeschooled, but he went there. His football team made it to the state semifinals as a junior and then to the finals and won the state championship, went on to Florida, Heisman Trophy, national champion. But more significant than those sporting achievements, he has founded the Tim Tebow Foundation, and he has helped thousands of women get out of sex trafficking Thousands of special needs people have had uh, marvelous interaction because of his foundation. He said one thing, he said many good things that night, but he said one thing. He said, Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came on a rescue mission to rescue sinners out of sin, out of condemnation, and into a relationship with God and into significance like he had done for Tim. John, the author here of this account, wrote three epistles, and one of the epistles he ends by saying, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. A life of significance now and eternal life to come. So our challenge today is to be abiding in Christ because when we do, we glorify the Father, we bear much fruit, and we show that we're a Christ follower. To accept the correction that comes because God wants to make us into the men and women, the young adults, the young people, the children he wants us to be, and to be avoiding the condemnation that comes when we turn our back on the gift of salvation that Christ offers us. Let us not miss that promise, okay? How about you? Have you decided to live a life of significance as a super senior, as a retiree, as a middle-ager, as a young adult, as a youth, as a child? A number of weeks ago, Pastor Jason, Dr. Lake, and I had the great privilege of participating in the memorial service for Ron Runyon. Dear friend, served this church well, man of faith, man of service to the country who passed away. And it was just remarkable. At the funeral home, at the service there, General Umbarger spoke. General Umbarger had been influenced by Ron, and Ron had influenced him. And he said this, uh, he goes, I've learned along the way that no decision is a decision. No decision is a decision. Brings to mind the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. That is 
a life of significance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truths of it today. Help us to abide in you and have fruit born to give you the praise and glory and to demonstrate to those around that we are your follower. And Lord, we know that times there is correction in our life. We have sinned and disobeyed and gotten off track and at times it's hard, but thank you for that because you want to make us all you want us to be and we're grateful. Lord, we pray today if there's someone here that has not yet truly entered into a life of significance by trusting Christ, may today be the day they acknowledge that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior, and that they would come and repent of sin and by faith receive Jesus. As your word says, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. And Lord, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's table, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and may we come as clean vessels. Lord, forgive us where in our character, in our conduct, we have fallen short of your standard, your command. Forgive us, cleanse us, and prepare our hearts to meet with you today. We're grateful, Lord, for your death and resurrection that we celebrate. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Your elements are next to you. If you're a follower of Christ, you've trusted him as Savior and Lord, you are welcome to participate in this. The night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, who didn't abide, didn't endure, but with his 11, he took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, think of me. The bread. The same night, up in that upper room, Jesus took the cup and said, this is representative of my blood given for you, shed for you. As often as you do this, think of me. The cup. Lord, we give thanks for the participation in the elements may be reminding us continually of the price you paid for us through your death and resurrection that we would be able to come into the family of God and have a life of significance. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.